On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. It's time for a second shot sit down. Hello everybody, Jenny Anchando here. And today's uh, guest is with former division one athlete, Donnie Starkin. So we're talking about dynamic leadership, um, a, a different kind of approach to mindfulness than I think that we've talked about before, talking about living intentionally. And this one is of particular interest because I have no idea where he's gonna go with it, but redefining masculine self care. Oh. Welcome, Donnie. Good to see you from Phoenix. Great to see you. It's um, it's a blessing to be here having a conversation like this with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, what we try to do with this show is we try to give people a second perspective at life, or just you know, talk to people who have had a second shot. When I was researching your story and your background, there's so many, there's so many different things that kind of jump out to me as a second shot. But one of them would be just discovering sobriety. So. We're gonna we're gonna cut the chit chat and the small stuff and get right to it. Um, what what was that journey like for you? Well, so yeah, I was a former Division One baseball player here at Arizona State. Um, and my senior year, I had a, a massive traumatic knee injury that led to a knee surgery that led to baseball ending for me. Uh, and when baseball ended for me, it really turned my world upside down because I lost my purpose. It was the only thing I ever knew, and in one day, it was completely gone. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't have another plan. And so there was a lot of emotional pain there, which I discovered lately or, or afterwards. Um, and it was because I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel the, the pain of the loss, the loss of my purpose. And so I numbed it every day by taking pills. Yes, I had a massive surgery on my knee. I was prescribed 80 Percocet a week for a month and then cut off cold turkey. But really, and I could, you know, I blamed it on that for a while. I blamed it on the doctor, but at its core, it was about the loss, the emotional pain, the loss, and I and I didn't want to feel it. So that's pretty much when my world got <clears throat> turned upside down from a life of an addiction, and it, my life got so bad that I ended up in rehab, and in rehab is really the beginning of uh, the journey into personal development for me, and really uncovering um, my, my purpose today, which you know I talk openly about this, because in my past used to bury me in guilt and shame, but today it's, it's really my best asset, and I can help others just by simply sharing my story. Yeah, I'm glad that you do. What was that rock bottom like can you describe sort of like the daily life where you were living what you were doing how you were earning a living that sort of thing yeah so the rock bottom for me there was like situations and circumstances i actually overdosed once um on pills and um that wasn't my bottom though you would think that would be my bottom but it wasn't my bottom my bottom ended up being just more of a a spiritual bottom where I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, where I would wake up every single day. Um, the moment I would wake up, I wouldn't think about breakfast or um, a shower. I would think about taking my pills because I would wake up with this anxiety and this fear. It was this like vicious cycle. And so if I woke up and took my took my pills, 
20 minutes later, I would feel like this, like this sense of calmness, kind of like what a breath does for me today. And um, doing that every single day, like so, you know, you, I would take the pills, I would be fine for an hour, they would start to wear off, and then the obsession and the fear and the anxiety would start again. And, you know, after a couple of years of just living like that, I just finally surrendered. I finally, I felt like I, um, I hit my bottom and was willing to receive, ask for help and receive help. And that that's kind of the key. We have to be willing to go to any lengths to get sober. And that was for me the key was like, fine, my way's not working. Somebody tell me what to do and I, and I became coachable and I became willing to, to do what it took to, to find freedom from this vicious cycle. How long did that go on for? Um, so it was on and off, I would say for a good seven or eight years. It was it was it was pretty consistent. I mean, I, there there were times where I was fine, but the vicious cycle of the pills it was it was a while, and um, you know at one point in my sobriety journey, I actually had three years sober, and I tell this part of my story because it's so important to to share, but also in my story as a reminder that the work never stops. And three years into my sobriety, I kind of got complacent. I stopped doing the things that gave me the freedom, like going to 12-step meetings, um, being of service, working with the sponsor, having mentors and coaches, and I stopped doing all that. And I ended up having a minor procedure, a surgery on my right knee, and I woke up from that surgery and I loved the way that I felt, and six days later I was back in the doctor's office lying about the pain so I could get more pills. Now I tell oh, okay. that because that, that was my reminder that, you know, and so, so I went back out and had like this little eight month little slip or relapse and um, and and then after that went into a five day detox and I've been sober eight years since then. And it's a reminder that again, the work will never stop and I can have freedom, I can be free from this addiction. I don't even, it doesn't even cross my mind today but it's all contingent on my spiritual condition and what I'm doing today to take care of myself my self-care and my self-love and um, being of service and doing the things that gave me this freedom in the first place. And we're definitely going to get into that. You guys, he has some really specific and legit advice on that. Um, but as we learn more about you, first of all, congratulations on on the years you've just had. Congratulations on the first three. I, you know, it's I've done enough of these types of interviews to know how much it takes for somebody to achieve sobriety for a short period of time and then and then to maintain it so I'm looking forward to hearing kind of how you do it now um, during that time were you able to were you sort of like out there being productive functioning member of society but on pills you know or or were you kind of doing your thing at home or what, what did life look like yeah I mean I was somewhat functioning I mean from from the outside it might have looked like it I mean there was just decisions I was making and not being really reliable to my family and my friends. But yeah, I mean, I held a job. I, I might not be able to hold a job for five or six years, but I would I would keep it together. And, you know, it wasn't a, the pill, taking the pills, it wasn't about getting messed up and about getting high. You know, after a while, it becomes f taking them to feel normal. That's all it was. It was like taking them so that I can step foot outside my house and not be afraid of life. You know, you build up so much anxiety and fear from just being in your head and being physically and mentally addicted to, to these drugs or to these pills. So you would take them and I would feel for a couple hours confident and calm and right and but then they would start to wear off and then that 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 vicious cycle but they would uh, they would allow me to work 
I thought I was being productive. My mom would say, well, you know, you think you're talking smooth, but you're actually slurring your words. So I think they do, can, they can make you a little bit delusional where you think you're solid. Um, but yeah, so I was somewhat functioning, but not making, not making decisions that really aligned with my heart and my core values because my life was being run by my addiction. So now you really work in this motivational space and the, the speaking space and the, the yoga space. What were you what were you doing back then or what did you study in school um, while you were playing baseball and did that correlate to what you ended up doing after school? Yeah, so business communication and in a sense, yes, I was in um, in the recruiting world. So I would recruit, I did like the, like in the headhunting business and worked for a couple healthcare recruiting companies for many years. Um, which yeah, you know, it was it was corporate America, but at the same time doing that, you know, I knew that it really wasn't my purpose. And what's beautiful is, you know, my mom getting yoga came into my life really at my rock bottom because my mom kept telling me you need to go to yoga. She was doing yoga way back in the day before everybody else was doing yoga. And I would always tell her yoga's for girls and hippies and I don't I don't need to do that crap. You know, that was my mindset. My, that was my fixed mindset um, where just I wasn't coachable, right? And I finally went with her once and I knew I did it. I did a class at some regular like Bally's or 24-hour fitness yoga back in the day. And I knew I would do yoga the rest of my life from that one class just from a, the physical standpoint. The reprieve that I got from from my low back because I was favoring my left leg for so many years because it was injured. Uh, and so the, my low back and my hips, the, 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 the feeling and the freedom that I got. So I started yoga to fix my body, but little did I know what it would do for my mind and for my soul. And so I got, I loved it so much. I'm like, I want to go to teacher training. I want to learn this cause I'm going to do it the rest of my life. And then I got into teacher training. I'm like, ah, I want to teach this. I want to share this with everybody. So I go through teacher training and I'm like, I'm going to quit my corporate job. And I did that. And I kind of got a rude awakening. I got humbled quick because, you know, in the beginning as a yoga instructor, you're not really crushing it and making a bunch of money. And can you get enough teaching gigs to like have a have it be your income? So I got I ended up having to go back into corporate America and within like three or four years, I was able to slowly work my way out of it. We're now, you know, teaching yoga and I'm a, a life coach, personal development coach um, who works with all walks of life, pro, a lot of pro athletes, a lot of um, executive leaders, CEO, CEOs, and then at the same time, just, you know, the stay at home mom or the 17 year old uh, high school athlete or the, the 17 year old kid who might be struggling with anxiety or depression. So it's all walks of life. The teachings are the same and it's just so cool to be able to kind of implement the whole mind, body, soul, um, coaching the stuff yeah. that I didn't necessarily get when I was growing up. Donnie, how long did it take you to realize that the addiction, yeah, may have been sort of like spurred by that injury, but was actually stemming from that loss of baseball? It was in rehab. So like in, when I got into rehab, I was, I was genuinely curious and curiosity is a beautiful thing because I started asking questions like what the heck went, wh where did my life go wrong? Like what happened? I was a, this baseball player and now I'm a drug addict. Where did it all go wrong? And that's when in, in treatment, you know, they offer therapy, they offer these powerful personal development tools and healing and working through any trauma if you have trauma. So it was, it was in treatment where I uncovered that. And it was like this big awakening because I ne didn't necessarily have this terrible childhood, didn't have a lot of um, abuse or, or trauma in my, in my childhood. 
it was that was my core wound, the loss of it. And I, I'm so passionate about sharing this because you know I work with a lot of other athletes and I tell them, your sport is not your purpose. It's part of your path, but one day it's going to end for you. And you better know who you are beyond the sport because whether they hang your jersey in an amazing retirement ceremony or ends with like an injury like it did me, you better know who you are because if you don't and your whole identity and purpose is wrapped into that, it's going to get very messy like it did for me, which actually almost killed me. Yeah, Donnie, I think about... um you know, the way that we raise kids now in 2020. And I, I think things are maybe shifting a little bit, but I think about, you know, how it is impressed upon us so much when we are little, like not just high school or college, but I mean, when we are little, how important that game is or how important that sport is or that yeah. performance or that thing. And, and for most of us, we won't do it professionally, whether it's playing violin or playing baseball or football or being a cheerleader or whatever the the practice is. Do you think there's something we should be def- doing differently when we raise our kids and um, in terms of like helping them to find an identity outside of maybe one sport or activity? Yeah, I think it's it's creating balance. It's definitely teaching our children how to love themselves, which we can get, we can talk, I can talk about that all day because it's like the theme of, of everything. And actually, if we can, if we can learn how to love ourselves first by the way that we talk to ourselves, by the way that we don't put everybody else's needs before our own needs and understanding that we're not our thoughts, that we actually don't have control of all the crazy thoughts or the negative thoughts that come into our our minds, but we do have control over our attachment to those thoughts, the thoughts we want to believe. So I think early on, it's for parents, like, please don't live vicariously through your child. I see it. It's hard for me to be around youth sports these days because I see it and it's Mm -hmm. just like so jarring to me to see. And it really frustrates me when you see the parents who maybe didn't, who quit on their sport, right? Or didn't make it to where they wanted to. And now they're pushing their child to to do it because they didn't do it. So in a Mm -hmm. sense, they're, they're, they're living through their child and they're putting all this pressure on their child and the child, child can feel it. And the parent is so engulfed in it that they don't even they don't even realize what they're doing sometimes. So I would say yeah. like let your, let your kid play multiple sports, two or three sports. Don't don't just stick them in one sport and say that's what you're going to do because you're going to set them up for burnout. And also playing other sports supports the the other sport that they're not playing. So it creates balance and it really allows them to make decisions for themselves on maybe what sport they like the best. Sure. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I think we're 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 at it we're at a little bit of a turning point because I think people have started to maybe over the last ten years or so realize okay, high school sports isn't the be all end all. College sports might not be the be all end all, but the Olympics people think is still the be all end all. Like you have to totally sacrifice your body. I was really shocked to see the controversy over Simone Biles, which by the time this interview comes out, you know, will have been a week past, but. I think it's still a relevant discussion as, as you know, what you, you and I are talking about. I thought for sure everybody's going to be supportive. What does she owe us? I mean, you do you. But I mean, people were genuinely ticked off and felt like she owed them something. They felt like, um, like she was a quitter, a loser, all of that for sort of making her mental health a priority. From somebody who has worked to achieve greatness at your own, you know, athletic level, what did you think of how that all went down? 
So I observe that as a whole lot of projection onto her. And I, I coach a lot around the four agreements. It's a book that I would recommend everybody to read. I would, I would you can put the four agreements on your, on your refrigerator. And one of the four agreements is to, to not take things personally, to know that when people say things, it's just a projection of their own reality. And so when we see that, you see a lot of project, projection, which not understanding that you're right, like she, she doesn't owe us anything. And if we can start to see that mental health is just a part, it's just health, let's just call it health. If she had a bum ankle or something wrong with her shoulder or wrist and she backed out, everybody would understand. But because it was mental health, it was all of a sudden it's, it's something different. Whereas if she's not on her game mentally, what, what they're doing from a physical standpoint, if they're not on point, they could paralyze themselves. They could kill themselves with as much, you know, air they're getting and the twists and the turning they're doing in the air. So I think it, it was a lot of projection. It was it was really sad to see. Yeah, she doesn't know us. She's the most decorated gymnast of all time, but yet, you know, she she takes a stand for herself and she has the awareness and also the humility to do this on such a stage. Now, mind you, she was also part of the whole like U.S. gymnast like sexual scandal with the, with that coach, and she's the only one that is still here, right, in the Olympics doing that. So she's been through so much, but people seem to forget about that. And again, it's it's a lot of projection. It's sad to see, but it makes me happy to see more and more people talking about mental health like her. Um, like the tennis player Naomi, and, and also like Michael Phelps, who started a while back. I mean, to me, yeah. it's bring it's changing the conversation, which is like that's my jam. That's nothing makes me happier. I'm I'm sad that it's at her expense, but I know without a doubt that she will find a greater purpose by what she's done beyond the sport. She'll be able to be an advocate and be able to carry this message once her sport is over. So I see it as a blessing, even though, you know, she's kind of getting dragged through the glass a little bit right now. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, I think that there, there are a lot of supporters, but there's a lot of people who are really, they feel like that was their goal to win, which is weird to me. But anyway, um, you know, I just did an interview with Abby Wambach, who of course was in the Olympics and on the World Cup team and everything, soccer player. And she talked about that same thing that, that you mentioned, where when her sport was over, she was like, who am I? Who am I? Um, and, and she really kind of had no idea. It seems like you're kind of saying the same thing. What, what should people be doing if they are at a high level? And I know that you coach um, athletes that are at a high level to continue to foster other things while still maintaining that competitive edge that you have to have in order to be the best. Yeah, I think our purpose when we're uncovered, I do a lot of this in my coaching program where our purpose is dynamic it's not static it's not like we create a purpose statement and this is our purpose the rest of our lives our purpose changes right it flows but what's consistent are our natural gifts and talents and figuring out like what are you most passionate about who's the group of people like who do you want to serve what's your mission like what breaks your heart more than anything that if you could go be of service to a group or a community or a charity what does that look like so it's first understanding what are your natural gifts and talents and then using those natural gifts and talents through the evolution of our life is the key. Now for someone like me, someone like you know Darren Waller who I co-host the podcast with, it's our pain. Our pain is our purpose. It's our past. It's like our mess has become our message. And I always say that it's not the event that happens, it's the meaning we attach to it. 
So I could have stayed buried in guilt and shame from my past decisions and my past addiction, but I've, I received help and I kind of woke up and saw how that I can actually use this to help other people. And I'm telling you, service, being of service and helping others is the greatest life hack there is. You know, even if you maybe didn't go through the stuff that I did, if you are in self-pity or you're in a funk, if you just go help somebody else, you're gonna feel better because you're not thinking about your own stuff. So I feel so blessed that um, that I went through my addiction and am I proud of everything that happened in it? No, but I can, but that shame and all that guilt goes away the more conversations I have like this, like the one I'm having with you. You know, it, it, it can come up, but if I know I'm helping somebody just by sharing, I mean, that is like the greatest freedom ever. Isn't treatment kind of the best? You go there for the worst, but but I've been through it not for, not for addiction, but for something else. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody needs this. Everybody needs to take a month off and get this kind of help because it's like so life changing. So so amazing, right? And it's like the stigma of it, right? That was my issue. That's why I didn't want to go when my parents. I I should have went many years before I actually went. But I was like, I'm not stopping my life for 30 days. There was this stigma and this shame around going. I, meanwhile, I had nothing going, knowing going good in my life. But I was we like, no, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no way am I doing that. But getting in there and and diving in and having like basically a 30 day, I mean, I wouldn't call it a vacation, but when you have a space where there's no distractions and you're kind of forced to look at your own stuff, I mean, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It did, definitely did not feel like it at the time. But yeah, yeah. so I, I feel like my addiction and people that have struggled and gone through their own journey of recovery, whatever they're recovering from, it almost it almost streamlines it, right? Because there's a lot of people that just go through the motions in their whole life. They sleepwalk through their life or they go at warp speed because they have this not enough story, which many of us do, most of us do actually, and so we we accomplish we get the job we get to the top we get the we get the company but the in the meantime we're like miserable doing it all because we're just always we feel like we're not enough so we need to keep validating that but the only story that matters is the one we tell ourselves so if we're telling ourselves we're not enough it doesn't matter how how high we get or what material things we acquire we need to be enough where happiness is an inside job so treatment or doing our own work basically wakes us up to what matters most in our lives. It allows us to figure out what our purpose is and why we're here. Where I say it all the time, like there's people, normal people, that I'm like, man, they could use the 12 steps, not for, for being free of alcohol or drugs, to be free from themselves, really. Totally, you guys, if you're like, uh, for sure, somebody's listening to this that's had treatment offered to them, or someone said, "Listen, I'll drive you. I'll I'll call your insurance and see what's covered. I'll I'll take you. I already got it set up." And you're saying, "No, no, no, no. Just do it. Like you you will find out that the life before was nothing." So yeah, I, I appreciate the sentiment there. And I um, okay, I got to go back to what I said at the beginning, which was redefining masculine self care. And I'll ask you before we get into that, what did all the guys think about you getting into yoga? Like, what did your baseball friends think? Oh wow, Donnie's doing his thing. He's like doing doing yoga with his mom at Bally's. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of projection, right? There were supportive people, but there's also, this is where that not taking things personally comes in. And you know, the four agreements I keep referencing because it would have been nice to have known that growing up, right? The four agreements are don't take things personally, 
be impeccable with your word, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. But you think about like how, how we take things personally all the time or how we care about what other people think. I mean, let's just look at social media. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I think we're all, we all can be affected by that. And that's why like in this work and diving in and figuring out what your core values are and understanding who you are, and when you know who you are, like the self-confidence that you exude and that you feel from the inside is like, it, it doesn't allow us to be vulnerable to all the noise. There's enough internal noise going on in our heads, but also the external noise and all the comparison and all the, the perfect um, things that we see on social media, everything's so curated, right? And so a lot of the young adults, actually it's everybody where I coach around this and there's so much comparison going on, but you're comparing to something that's not even real. So it's understanding like going back to you and what matters to you and defining, creating your own definition of success, creating your own agreements in life, not the ones that maybe we've been told by society or been told by our parents. So I know I got a little bit off and I and I, I think I, I don't even remember the initial question you asked me. Yeah, I was just wondering like what the what the guys thought about about you getting oh. into yoga and it sounds like you knew that it was kind of like projection on their part if they didn't if they weren't supportive but I'm sure some some were. Um and then I wanted to talk about redefining masculine self-care. What is what, what do you mean by that? I know what I think of like as maybe the standard old stereotypical masculine self-care. What what should we redefine to or maybe look to as a possibility? Yeah, so I'll answer your first question again really quick. The front, the projection, right? And this is important for everybody that if you are going down a path of self-discovery, and maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's religion, uh, maybe it's personal development, or you're, you want to be a teacher, a yoga teacher, you are going to have people that are going to um, feel threatened by what you're doing, and they're going to project onto you. They're gonna say things, things are gonna come out of their mouth like, oh, Mr. Spiritual, or oh, look at you, you don't wanna drink? Why don't you wanna drink? Come on, just have one. And that that has nothing to do with you. That is a projection of them. The, the people that, they, that witness us going onto this path, don't, there's something they don't feel great about in themselves, but they'll project it. Oh shoot, we lost your audio. I'm not Sorry. Oh, wait. Yeah, you're back. You're yeah. back. You're good. It's, so Keep it, going. It's the project. It's like we just know, right? Like it has nothing to do with us. They feel threatened. They feel threatened by the path that we're on, and it's all good. The tricky part of self sabotage, which is like a whole nother thing that I do in my coaching, is that a, a very common scenario of self sabotage is desiring acceptance. We want to be accepted by other people. We want to be liked, right? So then we will sacrifice our own values to be accepted. So yeah, knowing there's going to be some projection, knowing it has nothing to do with you, to not take it personally and follow your heart is so important. Um, and then the next question you had about um, redefining masculinity, I think it's you know it all comes from loving ourselves. And I, I smile when I say this because I did not grow up this way. Like I didn't grow up with self-love and the importance of it and reminding myself that I have to love myself first. I was taught to push through the pain, never let them see you sweat, no pain, no gain, and certainly not talk about emotions and feelings. So when we redefine it, we talk, we understand the importance of, of loving ourselves. And this isn't in a self-centered way. This is about making sure that we're putting our own needs, making sure that our own cup is full, 
And if we do that, everybody else benefits. And so that's through whatever our practices are. For me, it's just having a fully dialed in morning routine has been like life changing, which my morning routine really consists of waking up in the morning before my feet hit the ground. I think of a few things I'm grateful for. My feet hit the ground, I make my bed. And it's just like getting these two little wins before the day starts and then it's momentum. And then really the morning routine is meditation, journaling, um, and walking my dogs and moving my body. So those are like my non-negotiables. Nothing gets in the way of those. Because if they do, I, I, I don't, I'm just not comfortable in my own skin. But when we talk about redefining masculinity, a lot of it is about understanding that humility is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Asking for help, sharing what's going on, talking to other male friends about what I'm afraid of, right? And having supportive friends that are going to um, call us out on our stuff and not just tell us everything we wanna hear. Um, and at the same time, show up in a place of unconditional love. And through the program of recovery, I mean, I have like intimate conversations with men. And I'm not talking about like anything physical or sexual. I'm talking about deep, meaningful conversations, which I never really knew how to do that because I just wouldn't. It, it, it felt weak to do it. And uh -huh. so Darren and I are. What's that? You didn't open yourself up to it. Before. No, no way. I didn't know better. It was like, it looked like you were weak, right? And so that's why our, me and Darren's uh, podcast comeback stories, we're not talking about football on there. We're talking about these things, self-love, change, we're changing the conversation of what it means to be a man of strength, to be a solid male friend, to show up in the world and do things different. Darren's in the NFL and it'd be very, really easy for him to use the NFL as an excuse to just follow the path that many do. But he's choosing to do things different and showing up, in my opinion, is like what a real man, a man of strength, a man of faith. And, you know, Darren, you know, he, he I, I feel like football could end for him tomorrow and he'd be fine because he's found a greater purpose carrying the message of recovery. He's been sober three years. He does music. He does rap and hip hop music. He does the music for our for our podcast. So he's got other things. He's deep into the community. So it's like figuring out what are these other things that light your soul on fire. Yeah, before we go, I want to find out for somebody who's just sort of like, they're way away from this, like never gone to yoga, never meditated, never, you know, really even understood what mindfulness is. Where would you say, like, if you're just talking to a guy friend, let's say like a guy friend who's like, hey, Donnie, I see this change in you. Where do I start? What would you tell them? I would say find somebody, find a coach find a pastor, find a friend, find maybe somebody, you know, if it's if you're not wanting to do the whole coaching thing to find somebody, maybe a friend that you that you've witnessed that has something that you want. Not the material stuff, I'm talking about the energy, the confidence, the light, the boundaries, all of those things. Find somebody and start to just connect and talk. Talk to them, ask them what's working for them. Um, jumping on podcasts. I mean, there's so many good podcasts out there. Uh, I would also say meditation. And, you know, I'm a, a meditation teacher and the common response mm, a lot more for men than women is, I can't meditate. My mind never stops thinking. And my response is, nobody's does. So you give your mind something to think about. You give your mind one thing to focus on. And starting small, three minutes a day. And you know the easiest way to create a new habit is to attach it to something you already do. I feel like meditation in the morning for me has changed my life because I used to wake up in the morning and grab my phone. 
wake up, grab my phone, get on social media, get on text and email and start reacting and responding. And then I would, my foundation was so shaky that I was just a mess in the morning. Now I make yeah. sure that nothing happens. It, yeah. <laughs> it turns you into that mode of like, what can Donnie do for everybody as opposed to how does Donnie take care of Donnie? I get it. Shaky, shaky foundation. So figuring out a morning routine and not letting anything get in the way of that. And it doesn't have to be an hour long. It might be 10 minutes long. The other key to me is gratitude and writing maybe three things you're grateful for every day because gratitude changes the way that we see the world. When you're focusing on the good, guess what? More good things happen in your life because where our attention goes, energy flows. If you're focusing on all the bad and you wake up in the morning, you turn on the news, guess what you're going to see all day? All that bad stuff. So gratitude is another great practice that truly does change your whole reality and how you see what's happening in the world. And I have to say, that's why we do, that's why we do positive stories like yours on our show. You know, we're really devoted to that, to bringing people something positive in the news. Donnie Starkins, thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation um, and just getting to know you a little bit more and, and hearing about your story. And I will give everybody his website, you guys. It's DonnieStarkins.com. You can also learn about his one-on-one -on -one training sessions, learn about the shift that he talks about, and also um, get a link to his podcast comeback stories don't forget you can see the second shot podcast uh gosh on cw33 on tv every thursday 10 to 11 a.m and then we've got all the episodes if you've been um kind of caught up in that wheel of the podcast app is weird lately you guys you've got to go back in and like resubscribe and uh get back on there so anyway we love doing these episodes with you we love having you as a part of our second shot community and we will talk to you soon Thank you.